I've never considered committing suicide. I'm a pimp. And pimps don't commit suicide. It's interesting to learn who Jeffrey Epstein hung around with while he was alive. People who flew on his airplane, people who stayed on his private island in the Caribbean, those who had dinner at his home on Fifth Avenue in New York. And to some extent, those names are coming out, not all of them, but we know a lot of the people who are in Jeffrey Epstein's life, and we have for several years now. But on another level, that whole story seems like a bit of a sideshow because it doesn't answer the main mysteries surrounding Jeffrey Epstein's life or death. And there are three of them, almost none of which is ever discussed in the media. The first is who did Jeffrey Epstein work for? What did Jeffrey Epstein do for a living and on whose behalf? We don't know. The second question is where did all the money come from? Hundreds of millions of dollars that passed through his hands over many years. And where is it now? We don't know that either. And the third question may be the most pressing of all, which is what happened to Jeffrey Epstein? On August 10, 2019, he was found dead in the Federal Correction Facility in Manhattan, one of the most secure places in the world. Did he kill himself, as the government has claimed ever since, or was he murdered? Well, the overwhelming evidence suggests that he was in fact murdered and that the US government, including the Attorney General of the United States, covered up that murder. These are the questions that matter most, and they're exactly the ones not being addressed in the news media. Why is that? We decided to speak to someone who has insight into this question, and that is Jeffrey Epstein's only surviving relative. His name is Mark Epstein, who was Jeffrey Epstein's brother, separated by 18 months. He's a successful real estate developer in New York, and he's very concerned for his own safety. So the interview that follows is one that you will listen to rather than see. Mark Epstein refused to appear on camera, but we think what he has to say is worth hearing. Here it is. Do you think your brother killed himself? Not now. No. When I first heard he was dead from suicide, I had no reason to doubt it, so I accepted that. But then after the autopsy and after Bill Bob made that asinine statement, I said, this was not a suicide. Um, but when you first heard the news, you were not—you thought it was a possibility that he killed himself. Yeah, I accepted it as a fact. I heard it on the news. The government didn't notify me, as they said. I heard it on CNN in the morning of the 10th. And you're his only survivor. You're the only surviving relative. Yes, yes. He has no children, and our parents are gone. And there's no other siblings. When did you start to think that he did not kill himself? Well, after the autopsy and the... Both pathologists, the city pathologist and Dr. Body, came out of the autopsy and they said, this, this doesn't look like a suicide. It looks more like a homicide. So what did you do then? Well, I, okay, I figured you'd have to look into this and see what's going on. Were you shocked that he might have been killed? Uh, it came as a surprise, yeah. So as his only surviving relative, what did you do to find out what happened to him? Well, I started to inquire about what took place. You know, the Justice Department uh, was supposedly investigating. The initial death certificate uh, said pending, uh, when it said cause of death, which means pending further investigation. Yes. So, but then a few days later, it was declared a suicide by the chief pathologist, who, who was not at the autopsy. And uh, the question became what investigation was done in such a short period of time to make her 
determined it was a suicide, or was she basing it on Bill Barr's statement? And who who was the chief pathologist who made that declaration? Uh, Dr. Roman. That was the the pathologist who was there. No, no, no. That was uh, oh Samson. Barbara Samson was the chief pathologist. Dr. Right. Roman did the actual autopsy with Dr. Barnes. So Barbara Samson is the person who declared it officially a suicide, and she was not, as you said, at the autopsy, and she was not present for it. Correct. And, you know, when they call it a suicide, they stop investigating. Because if there's a suicide, there's really nothing to investigate. Right. If it's a suicide, because somebody killed themselves, case closed. So that's how they can just sort of cover it up. They never, they never did an investigation. They didn't, never interviewed the EMTs that were called to the jail. They never interviewed the hospital personnel where his body was, was shipped. They, they, I can't get any answers as to what investigation was done. When I met with the Justice Department people a few months after the death, every question I asked was answered by saying, after a thorough investigation, we determined it was a suicide. That was the, it was like them pleading the fifth. I got the same answer to every question I asked. So um, do you, and did you speak to Barbara Sampson, the official who ruled this as No, I haven't been able to get to her. Oh, she never called you? No. So in, um, in her public explanation, she has been asked about this. We tried to reach out to her. She refused to speak to us um, for reasons we don't understand. Uh, but in her official explanation, she suggested that she ruled it a suicide, effectively overruling the judgment of the people who actually performed the autopsy because your brother had attempted suicide previously. Yeah, but that's been shown to be false. You, know, you can listen to David Schoen, his attorney, on the podcast, the Crime Waves podcast. He explains that Jeff was attacked by his cellmate, but he didn't want to report it as such because he was afraid of retaliation. Um, but every news account of his initial injuries in the, in the weeks before his death said that he had tried to kill himself in a, in a cell. He was found in fetal position on the floor after a failed suicide attempt, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, once somebody says that, then everyone picks up the same story, and then it becomes, you know, the truth, just because it's been repeated so many times. But the fact is, he was not, he did not attempt suicide that first time. So if he didn't try and kill himself the first time, then the medical examiner had no basis to declare this a suicide. Exactly. Exactly. Plus, there's reasons why he wouldn't kill himself. Then he had a hearing scheduled for uh, to appeal the bail decision coming up in a few days, and uh, the bail was being uh, increased. So there's a chance he could have got bail, even as unpalatable as that might have been to some people. You know, in the United States, you're entitled to bail under certain certain conditions. But um, you know, so I can see if he went for the hearing for bail and it was denied. Then I can see him taking himself out if he didn't want to spend a year in jail waiting for a trial. Yeah. But not a few days before. That makes no sense. In all the in your conversations with him and in your conversations with the people who were in contact with him at the final weeks of his life, was there any indication at all that he was suicidal at any point? No, I had no conversations with him once he was arrested. I yeah. spoke to him the day before he was arrested and he actually called me from Paris, just the usual, you know, how you doing kind of phone call. And the next day, his attorneys called me and told me he was arrested. And that was the last time I spoke with him. I didn't yeah. speak to him or see him while he was in jail. But having spoken to his lawyers and, and people whom he communicated with from jail, did anybody say that he seemed suicidal? No, everybody was shocked that it was a suicide. Nobody thought he was going to kill himself. Nobody thought he would do that. 
So what's interesting is that the Attorney General of the United States at the time, Attorney General Barr, uh, said publicly and then wrote in his memoir that he had concluded conclusively that this was a suicide based on two pieces of evidence. One, the medical examiner, the, the person who performed the autopsy declared it a suicide, which is a lie. That didn't happen. And two, because he had viewed the videotape at the entrance to the tier, to the cell block where your brother was being held. What do you make of that explanation? Well, when, when I heard Barr's statement that he said he personally saw the videotape and he concluded it was a suicide because nobody went in or out, I, that's when it hit me that he's covering this up because there's two sort of fallacies in that. One, I thought, why is the Attorney General of the United States, who I imagine to be a busy guy, why is he personally watching the videotape? Couldn't he have two people in his office watch the videotape and say, hey, Bill, nobody went in or out? You know, wouldn't that suffice? And two, to assume that somebody could get to that door, go inside, you know, kill somebody, get out completely undetected, it's just ridiculous because I believe there are six levels of security right. before you get to that door. So to assume that somebody could do it that way is crazy. And any third-rate investigator will tell you that you know there was anywhere from seven to fourteen people on the other side of that door on the tier that could have killed somebody. Right. And I had been told from another source. I've been getting a lot of information from all sources that cell doors were left unlocked that night. Hmm. I don't know how many cell doors or whose cell doors. But if, if cell doors were left unlocked, then somebody could have went into Jeff's cell, killed him, went back into their cell, undetected. Now, in the Justice Department uh, report, it says that from three cells, you could see Jeff's cell door. But if you look at the photographs of the tier, there's tiny windows in the cell doors. So in order to see Jeff's cell door from another cell, you'd have to be standing at that window inside the other cells in the middle of the night, looking towards Jeff's cell. And if somebody crept low beneath the height of that window, you wouldn't see them. So the fact that, you know, to say that he could be seen from three other cells and they didn't see anything, well, chances are the other prisoners were sleeping in those cells if they had nothing to do with it. So again, it, it, it's just like a cover-up line. Right. So in other words, the Attorney General said that nobody moved on to the cell block, according to the videotape, but that is irrelevant because if your brother was murdered, he was almost certainly murdered by someone who was already on the cell block. Exactly. Right. Out of Austin, Texas, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Well, I am surviving whatever this seasonal cold is. It might be a shorter episode because I have been underneath this bus of a disease, whatever it is. I'm not going to get checked because I'll just get over it before it's even relevant. But it's been about almost 10 days, so hopefully we'll just trudge through the last of this, you know... whatever this is, and I will get through it. Uh, But around the bend is a giant cold snap. So I have to hunker down and go nowhere. So it's, I've got a cold inside and I've got a cold outside. So I have to just kind of be inside being warm and 
recovering. So that's, that's my life right now. And I hope you are enjoying more freedom than I am at this point. Um, so I'll try to keep, keep my remarks limited. I am learning a lot about, um, trafficking this week. This is like Sheila Dean's education on trafficking week. Oh, that and, and that, and that. So, um, so human trafficking specifically more ugly about sex trafficking. I'm learning a ton from Netflix, from the Netflix series about Jeffrey Epstein called filthy rich. And while I've been shoe shopping and, and staying warm underneath a blanket on the couch, had to have something to do. So I, I watched filthy rich because there's a lot of disgusting rich people. I just realized that there's a lot of gross, perverted rich people. And I I guess intuitively some of us know that that's out there. (laughs) Pardon me. Um, you know, I saw this, this clip. I'm going to try to see if I can get the photo, but it was just a, I don't know, maybe four second photo still that was thrown up of Donald Trump, Melania Trump, Ghislaine Maxwell, and Jeffrey Epstein taking a photo together. And in that sandwich, right in the middle, is Melania. And Melania looks like she's like, oh my god, this guy. I can just tell by her countenance that she feels entirely grossed out by being anywhere near this person. And it's, it's probable. This is my license to speculate as a online podcaster, but I'm going to say from that photo that I can gather from my intuition and from my five senses, what every woman will know when you're next to a creep, that is, that is the sensation. You're like, Oh, Oh, that I know that I've been there. And I think Melania put her foot down with Mr. Don Trump and said, you're not going to know this guy anymore. He's disgusting. And he's a criminal. We know what he does. You live here in West Palm Beach. The children, the children, the children. And there were so many kids. Oh, my God. West Palm Beach has a ton of high schools. And he was plumbing as many of them as he could, from what I can understand in this in this gallery, he had a Ponzi scheme of minor children from these high schools that he was recruiting for massage jobs, and it is just awful. I feel like there should be a one eight hundred hotline just for West Palm Beach for stories for people to anonymously call in. Yeah, I knew a girl and. She was diddled by Epstein and she was okay before and now she's now she's weird. Now she wants to do drugs all the time. So I think that's probably true. You know, and it is sad. It is super, super sad the lives of people after they are assaulted. Um, eating disorders. That's that's a tell. Eating disorders and 
you know, rampant drug use, adverse personality changes. Like maybe they were high executing, highly functional people. And then all of a sudden they just plummet off a cliff. (laughs) Trauma. We'll do that. So if you see something like that, something bad happened to that person and whether or not you go talk to them or not, it's not going to change that fact, but you may probably conclude rightly that something very bad happened to that person because they were, they were good before and then they weren't good at all. So, um, so say prayers for those people. I have compassion for those people because I've been that person in a way, uh, maybe not necessarily the precise set of circumstances, but the only, the only relatable thing that I can, I can convey at this time is that being around people in Hollywood, you'll be exposed to creeps and people who try to make it your fault that they want to do bad things to you. So, um, I guess that's part of the narcissistic disease. That's just kind of around in the water there, but they want to make you at fault for their, their proclivities. They want to make you guilty for what they, they are trying to do to you. So that doesn't really work, you know, threatening you with seeing what they do. Mm, Not really. I'm not guilty of what you're doing to me. Even though you're trying to involve me by force and coerce me, nah, I don't, I don't really buy that. And a court system won't either. So, so this, this principle of getting head faked, you know, by people who are pretty much pro at being a predator, they know how to flip it. So that it's like, Oh, you're, you're, you're this crime. You're the criminal. You're actually the criminal in this, in, in this engagement. And no, no, that's not how it works. So I just hope that you'll you'll understand that if you're out there and you happen to listen to this podcast, that the thing that actually hung Jeffrey Epstein, I mean hung him good, before he was killed in his jail cell, the thing that put him in that jail cell was a violation of... Uh, <laughs> okay, let's say he had corrupt extortive material on the Florida DA. Let's just say that we let's just say that if we take that for granted that Jim Acosta was a bought and paid for corrupt politician, one of the anti-corruption laws that prevailed against his institutional profanity was the Victim Crime Victim Rights Act. And that is the ability for the victims to evaluate the defense with the prosecution involved. And because they were denied that right, and there was a deal cut with the FBI, with Epstein Crime Incorporated, uh, (laughs) that came back to bite him. And then Mr. Acosta had to resign while Donald Trump, who has so many hobbies and things to do, stood there and was like, yeah, you better. 
Also, I attribute obliquely to Melania Trump and the children, the children, and the children of West Palm Beach. So, I I applaud you. Thank you for standing up for justice. Because you got some. You can do it. So this week, um, again, it's it's my my tour of trafficking of humans. I have learned some stuff. Now the money behind this this uh, this rigmarole is really what stimulates it, what kept it going. Epstein had what a lot of money, so he had a lot of money. He trafficked he trafficked other people's money. And he trafficked people. So there's money involved. I think the statistic floated by Veterans for Child Rescue is that it exceeds $50 billion a year. Like all of the sports money at, at ESPN. And every, every commercial sport combined, the human trafficking of people exceeds that in revenue. So it is a, the pimpery is, is quite the business. So because that's a business, the cartels at the border, and this is important because there is a stopgap that was put there by Greg Abbott this week. Again, advancing my education on how to stop and how to deal with human trafficking in a justice, public justice forum. So he, uh, Greg Abbott, commandeered a park in Eagle Pass, Texas. And he kicked out Border Patrol because Border Patrol was being used to kind of, I wouldn't say subvert migration law, but they were there to kind of, kind of play mitigation or, or cork it so that migrants could come through in a specific way and then elite and evade asylum processing somehow in that little park. And so they knew about it. The people who got involved with border patrol knew about it. And the interviews on Fox with border patrol say that border patrol themselves are not upset necessarily about this stopgap, but this has violently enraged. Maybe I'm embellishing there. It has, it has, um, caused a flap of sorts with Mayorkas's team. And there's been retaliation from the beginning of the week to the end of the week. They are trying to sue the state of Texas to disenforce migration law. The federal government has the obligation to enforce, but won't. And now that Texas is doing that, which they have never done, they've never crossed this line before, but they passed a state law so that they could intervene in um, trespassing and then hand over migrants uh, at a different location to, to Customs and Border Patrol because the drugs is a big problem. So the drugs are killing people in America. 
and they're greatly advancing the pocketbook of the cartels who are engaged in human trafficking. Now, human trafficking isn't just like, you know, gross sex behavior trafficking. It is, but it's it's a com- combination of many things. As a business, they have to keep the money consistent. So if it's labor trafficking, what they do is they, they get people, quote-unquote, jobs here in America, and then they keep them at bare minimal wages so that they stay slavery, slavin. I'm not even sure I, I explained that properly. They, they keep them enslaved. <laughs> I have no other way of saying it. this is This is not legal labor. Sex trafficking, same. These are people who go in the door for, say, like, in the Epstein case, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to provide you with a legal massage, and in the process, I'm going to be raped and subsequently trafficked to other people. That's what happened. So you go in the door going, oh, I'm going to be a, a house cleaner, or I'm going to do gardening, and you show up, uh, or childcare. You know, they, they show up for a legitimate purpose that purpose is subverted, and then they end up being slaves. That's a bait and switch. Damn. So, then the money that they make, for, or would be making, because there's some sort of racket, they're, the, the slaves are told, well, you gotta, you gotta work your way out of this, this hole that we put you in. So, whatever money they make is then sent directly back to the cartels. So that's where money and money and money. So because money is coming in because people are paying for the labor one way or the other, they're getting the labor, but it's, it's a lower cost. I discovered an article this week um, from ProPublica that was published in October, 2022. I missed it. Sorry. Um, But it was on a a Chinese and Mexican American um, triad that was directly linked to the 14K triad, as featured in Sam Cooper's book. So that's a good reference, and I'll I'll put that here in um, in the sources for this particular podcast. I'm sorry, there's no AI business. The only AI business that I, I came upon or stumbled upon, whoops, uh, is um, that chat GPT may be being purchased by a Chinese buyer. And OpenAI is having structured talks in Europe with China at this time. So that's actually quite a lot, thought I would just tell you. Uh, additionally, a uh, couple of legal developments. The, the S- Department of the Treasury has started to process complaints, claims, enforcement uh, pro- progress on using real estate as a, a laundering measure. Now, internationally, Properties have been used in the past to launder cash money, but the United States in specifically has never had any law pro- prohibiting or any rule prohibiting such action. 
So the Department of the Treasury has fixed this loophole, and now they can start looking at real estate properties for money laundering. Additionally, one other note I wanted to add is that um, Oregon, the state of Oregon might be a point of curiosity because, you know, it's suddenly become the interest. You know, there's been a lot of illegal activity related to Chinese buyers in that area. I just want to see that. Um, I will, I will flesh this out in a full piece later on. Um, and I hope this is kind of a tease, but if I keep my fingers crossed, I will get, um, some correspondence back from Sam Cooper about things that have been going on. I think he did one interview with ProPublica last year around this time. So, or maybe it was 2022, but it was not recent, but definitely in January. So maybe this is his season to kind of like open the gate for some press and then it gets up. So again, you know, I, I appreciate your, your, your listening ear. I, I am probably maxed out at, 30 minutes this time. I'm sorry. It's not more of a, of a, of a fulfilling podcast, (laughs) but, um, still feeling kind of miserable, but I want to be well for you next week. So I'm going to wrap this up tight here. Thank you for listening to the unsanctioned citizen. Uh, everyone has power, especially you. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com. <laughs>